Good morning. Uh, if you are joining us for the first time, um, obviously we've got some renovations. I noticed nobody took these chairs right up here, and uh, that would be awkward. But anyway, thank you for joining us. Thank you for joining us online. I'm going to do something real quick. Do you see that? Yeah, I'm going to step back here this morning, okay? I'm just going to preach right here. I've been told those are aircraft cables holding that skyscraper straight above me up. We'll see if it holds for a week, and then we'll, then, then we'll talk about standing right here again. So thanks for joining us. Uh, if we haven't met, my name's Nathan. I, I just love to say I get to be pastor here. It is a get-to, not a have-to, and I love to be able to say that. Well, I want to talk to you about a phrase that you may or may not have heard. How many of you have heard the phrase, form without substance? something could have form without substance. Now, whether you've heard of this or not, you've experienced this, okay? You, you, you're walking toward the tray of cookies. You, you see a chocolate chip cookie. Your mouth starts watering for a chocolate chip cookie. You grab it. You take a bite, and it's raisin, right? <laughs> that is form without substance, okay? Yeah, yeah, you know exactly what the phrase means now, all right? There's this, uh, there's this game, how many, of you are jelly, how many of you like jelly beans? Easter's coming, right? Okay. How many of you have heard of the, the game Bean Boozled? Bean Boozled. This is a game that um, our kids have played at birthday parties and just from time to time. Bean Boozled was made by the jelly bean company, Jelly Belly. And uh, I, I mean, the thing about jelly beans is they're very inviting, aren't they? Well, Bean Boozled... Is, is really a spin on the word bamboozled when you've been taken or you've been fooled. And what it is, is you go around and it's a, kind of a truth or dare thing, but you can grab a jelly bean and you risk that it might be the flavor that it looks like or it might be one of their alternative flavors. Let me give you a list of these. Um, and you may not be able to see these real well. Oh, here we go. So there's juicy pear or booger. There's strawberry banana smoothie or dead fish. There's berry blue or toothpaste. There's birthday cake or dirty dishwasher, peach or barf. This is not the way to start a sermon, okay? But you get it, okay? You can just feel this coming up inside you. There are those of you that um, you also experience this first day of school. That teacher's so kind, right? You get two weeks in and you realize that teacher should have retired about two decades ago, right? And the reason I'm bringing this up is because we find in the very word of God this, this scripture that says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. You want to know what God's heart is for all the earth? Is that they would taste, that they would experience God and truly be able to say and decide for themselves, for ourselves, that he is good. And as Jesus, has, last week he made his way into Jerusalem, he's now headed for the cross, as he's made his way toward Jerusalem, and he's going down this road we talked about last week, the road less traveled, he's going to make a stop. And, and what he's really going to unearth, and he's going to just pull back the layers on, is this idea of form without substance. That if we're going to represent God, if we're going to be those who are messengers of taste and see that the Lord is good, and if we're going to proclaim his gospel, the form and the substance, they've got to, got to, got to match. 
And so we're in Mark chapter 11, verses 12 through 25 this morning. But what's going on and where we left off last week is that Jesus, he's come in. There's like this parade thrown for him by his followers, by his disciples. Some of you are still reading about jelly beans right now. Don't worry, we're going to get into the scripture. But he goes in, and where we left off last week, he goes into the temple. And Mark just gives us this little detail. It was late at night. Jesus went into the temple, and he looked around we don't know what he saw. We're going to find out in a moment here. And then he went and he spent the evening with his disciples. And that's where we're going to pick up. And I want you to just pay attention to this very first verse that we encounter this morning. Mark chapter 11, verse 12. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, and look at this, Jesus was hungry. And isn't that strange? That Jesus would be hungry. I mean, I, I understood when he was, being, he was in the wilderness for 40 days and he was being tempted. And, and we get the, like the most obvious statement of all of Scripture Matthew gives us. And Jesus was hungry. Yeah, duh, Matthew. We, we get that. But, but here, this is different. He's had a night of rest. There's been a parade for him. You know, we're, we're aware of him being around people. Other accounts show us that he's, he's at tables, at meals around this time. So this phrase that Jesus is hungry, it's kind of strange. But come to our context for a minute. Do you find it strange that God would be hungry, as Mark tells us here? That God would be hungry? And see, this, this is something that you may not have noticed before. That Jesus sometimes shows up in the hunger of humanity. He came to earth and he took on this human form and he experienced everything that comes with being a human here on this earth. See, we don't think of Jesus that way, do we? We think of Jesus as, well, he showed up, he used his powers, he never had anything that he, he had any need for or anything like that. And we forget he had perfect fellowship with his father, but he walked through this life the way you and I walk through this life. See, sometimes Jesus shows up in the hunger of humanity right in front of us. And personally, I believe that's what we're getting a picture of here, is that we're about to find out just how seriously God takes the hunger of humanity. Because God, as you and, and, you, excuse me, as you and I well know, is also provider, and we'll get into that in a minute. But when he encounters the hunger of humanity, he goes to it. He goes to it. We read elsewhere. Lord, where did we see you hungry and not feed you? Where did we find you naked and not clothe you? See, sometimes Jesus shows up in the hungry need of the person in front of us, and that might be in the mirror, and that might be out the window. But it's something we have to remember, and the question for us becomes, what's filling that hunger? That should be the question for ourselves, and that should be the question for those around us. Whenever we encounter the hunger of humanity, it should be a cue to ask ourselves, what's filling that hunger? Is it Lay's potato chips? They say, bet you can't eat just one. Is it Lay's? You guys are acting like you've never had potato chips before. <laughs> I think it's Lay's, all right? And, and you look at it and you go, well, duh, there's nothing to it, right? There's nothing nourishing about that. I mean, hopefully we all know you start a meal time with like protein because that's a little more filling, a little more satisfying. Hopefully we've learned that. Nutrition class, right? And God, what God does to nourish the hunger of humanity 
There's what his son did on the cross, and then he sent the Spirit. But you know what the Spirit does? The Spirit produces fruit. The Spirit produces fruit. And so I find it so interesting that here we are in Mark chapter 11, and we're in Bethany. You know what Bethany means? Bethany, the meaning of Bethany was the place of figs or the place of fruit. That just makes this statement by Mark even more strange. Here's Jesus in the place known for this fruit, and he's hungry. And he's hungry, and we're about to find out exactly what God's heart is for humanity in the way he goes about meeting the hunger of humanity. Look at verse 13. Seeing, seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went out to find out he went to find out if it had any fruit. Now, what does it mean when a tree has leaves on it? You know what that is? That's a declaration by the tree. No, it's not a tree verbally talking to you, but it's a tree that's saying, I, I am making a declaration that I have fruit of some kind on me. When you find a tree in leaf, it is a declaration, it's a statement, it's a promise by that tree that says, I bring fruit. And so Jesus, seeing this tree with leaves on it, he walks over to it. When he reached it, it says in verse 13, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Now we'll come back to that statement a little bit later. But he gets there and there are no, there's no fruit on this tree. Now, I want you to just imagine what it would be like to go to something thinking there's food there and not find any food. Okay, just hold that in mind for a second. <clears throat> then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. Now, Jesus is not hangry here, okay, as far as we know. I haven't found a Greek word for hangry. I don't see it here in this passage. But can you imagine, remember the beginning of the pandemic, going to the grocery store? And you've got in mind what you're going to buy. And then you get there and the shelves are empty. I mean, you remember that feeling? I want you to just hold on to that inside. Remember when you placed that online order hypothetical situation? You placed an online order, right, for Oreos, and you got saltines? Yeah, it's that, okay? That's what's going on here. And Jesus is going, well, wait a second. This is a, this is a declaration. You have, you're saying you have fruit, and I get to you, and there's no fruit. And the second thing you got to know is that wherever God encounters the hunger of humanity, God has a heart to satisfy it. He just does. God has this heart to satisfy it. We've got this tree in our backyard. In fact, we'll put a picture up here. And it's a, it's this, this is in the spring, okay? We get this one week in the spring. These beautiful white flower petals come out on this tree, all right? Now, I'm just going to say something. I hate this tree, okay? I hate it. And I hate it because it's actually so fruitful. You want to know what kind of tree this is? It's a crabapple tree. Yeah. Who likes crabapple sauce laying all over your lawn in the fall? Because that's what happens in the fall. And, and it really, it seems to produce this bumper crop of crabapples every single year. It is terrible. It's absolutely terrible. But despite my feelings about it, sorry, I might need some therapy. But anyway, despite my feelings about it, this is what God intends. That right there, the display of leaves, the declaration that I have fruit, and the production of that fruit, whether it's right then or later in the year, 
This is what God intended for those who have trusted his son with their lives. He says, look, I will give my Holy Spirit and I will produce fruit through those lives. Now, let me just, let me just pause here because some of you are like, really, are we talking about a tree or what are we talking about here, Nathan? Is this about a tree? This is not about a tree. This is not a tree. What you got to notice is that last statement by Mark. His disciples heard him say it. See, his, his disciples have been following all this time. And you know what Jesus has been doing? He's been giving them parables and metaphors and pictures. And so what we're seeing here with the tree is another lesson that Jesus is about to land with his disciples. And the lesson begins with there is a hunger to humanity. And there is a heart in God to satisfy that hunger. And so it's interesting where Jesus goes because we remember he was in the temple the night before. Now he shows them this tree. We have this interaction and now he's going back to the temple. And when he gets to the temple, what we're going to find is an explanation of what happens. What happens when you don't see fruit in a life. Some things have happened inside the temple and Jesus is going to unearth this stuff for his disciples, for us, and then we're going to get an alternative. He's going to give us an alternative. Take a look at this. Uh, this is Mark chapter 11, verse 15. <clears throat> On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. Now, do you want to know, this, this verse is actually really well known. Whenever I encounter somebody that like, they, they acknowledge that they deal with anger, you know what they like to say? Well, Jesus got angry. And I'm like, well, you're, first, you're not Jesus, okay? But second, Jesus is looking around the temple of God. And as he looks around, what he sees happening in the temple is really indicative of what has happened in the hearts of those who, who would frequent the temple and those who would oversee the temple, and those who took part in the life of the temple. It's also what can happen to any one of us. That whenever we don't see fruit in a life, something has happened inside the temple that is the human heart. But in this case, we see it in the actual temple. The first thing, notice, notice the buying and selling. Now, is he going after buying and selling in the temple, the actual commerce? No, he's getting at, there, there is now this separation because you want to know who else would come to the temple? We're not just these people who were buying and selling, but the poor. The poor felt refuge and saw the temple as a fortress of safety and refuge that they could go to. And so when the poor showed up to the temple and suddenly there's buying and selling going on, guess what happens? They get excluded. They get excluded. This, this life that God intended to be happening in the temple, suddenly somebody's on the outside looking in. And so these, these people, these money changers and those who were buying and selling, what they had done is outside the temple, something in their heart had, had shifted, something in their heart, and they created this separation between the elites who could afford it and everybody else. Well, another thing has happened. We keep going. Verse 17. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all? Did you catch that word, all? It's everybody. 
all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. Now, a den of robbers is not where robbers go and they do their robbing. You know what a den of robbers is? A den of robbers is a place where the robbers come and they just, they kind of like hang out with each other and justify each other. They hang out and they say, oh, check out what I, look what I took. Look what I grabbed. So what happened is now they had found this, this place where they, they were justifying one another. This was going on in the temple. And Jesus is going, this is not what God intended. Finally, it, it gets a little worse. Mark escalates it now. Because now it's those who are most associated with the temple. We're going to see something has happened in their hearts as well. Verse 18, the chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him. For they feared him, because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. You know that third thing that happens in the heart? Right? When, when we create separation between people, between the elites and everybody else, when we justify one another, you know what tends to happen? We begin to look to get rid of Jesus. And this is what was happening in the lives of those who oversaw the temple, those who would frequent the temple. And Jesus said, this is enough. This is enough. And what was happening inside the temple was really a picture of what was going on inside their hearts. And the thing we got to know as we watch this whole episode this is, this is a warning. It's really, it's a warning passage. And warning passages don't feel good, but you're thankful for the warning. The warning that you and I have to take away from this is that without life at the root, there is no fruit in our lives. Without life at our root, there is no fruit in our lives. And you have to, have to, have to know that. This last week, I was uh, at the seminary, at Denver Seminary, all week, um, excuse me, just going through a certificate program over there. And it, it was with all kinds of people in ministry. I mean, you had people who came from, there was a lady who came from France. There are a number of people that fly in from California. There are a couple from Oklahoma. And then just people just spread around Denver that are part of this. And as we began talking about ministry, I would just say a majority of them are not pastors. And, and so this this statement kept coming up that I, uh, I just had to go, okay, God, I'm enough in you, okay? But the sentence that kept coming up out of their mouths, and it wasn't meant maliciously, it's just an observation that I have to just be honest. It's a, it's a true observation. They said, it would start like this. You know, I love pastors, but, and then I could just feel eyes, like going like this. Luckily, there were like three others, so it was kind of diffused. I love pastors, but... And, and as they begin to walk through some of their wounds in their lives, you know what I just have to be honest about when I think about my peers? Is that there's been some wounding done. And there's been some hunger that's not been met. And there's been damage done. I mean, you're all probably very familiar of what's been happening in the world of the evangelical church over the just past number of years, right? You see all kinds of brokenness and all kinds of hunger and decisions being made out of that hunger. Remember what your mom told you? Don't go to the grocery store hungry, right? Because you're probably going to make some poor decisions. And we've seen people in ministry 
Those who, they, they show leaves. It's this declaration, I have fruit. And yet when people get close, there's no fruit to be had. And I have to be honest, just personally, it's, it's humbling. It, it's, um, it's a little bit terrifying to think about. And yet Jesus doesn't leave us there. You see, this is my great hope. Whether I think about my life or your life, because I, I have something, maybe you've never thought of yourself this way. You are a pastor to somebody. I mean, no, maybe you haven't gone to seminary, maybe you haven't been ordained, maybe you haven't gone through, checked all the, all the uh, paperwork boxes, that kind of thing. But you are a pastor to somebody. God has positioned somebody in your life that he wants to nourish the hunger through what Jesus has done in your life. He wants to do something in you, and then he wants to work through you. And so as I listened to this week, I just thought, oh my goodness, I mean, it's not wrong. There, none of these observations that I was hearing from people are wrong. And yet, it brought me back to this morning. Let us not be people whose lives display leaves without the fruit that God designed to accompany it and that God grows to accompany it. Now, you want to know what just, just keeps jumping out to me? We have to go to the next verse to see it. <clears throat> This is verse 19 through 21. When evening came, we're going back to the tree now. So we had the temple the night before, the tree, now the temple, and now we're back to the tree again. When evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. In the morning as they went along, they, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed is withered. In other words, the very temple of God had become like this fruitless tree. And what was happening here? It's not explicitly announced right here in this passage, but God was changing what he was doing. God was remaining the same, the same yesterday, today, and forever, but the way he was going about what he was doing in line with his good and loving and faithful character, it was changing. He said, you know what? The life of the temple and the way the temple's been set up, it has withered. And now, instead of the temple as a building, I'm going to work through the temple of the disciple. See, that word just keeps coming up throughout this account. The disciples, they heard him say it. The disciples accompanied him. There's a reason he has the disciples with him. There's a reason you and I have this passage. It's that we would accompany him, that we would notice this warning, that we would take heed of this warning. And to go, no, no, no. It's not about just a building on Sunday morning. It's about your heart. Your, your body is a temple. That means where you go this week, guess what? People see leaves on display. And the question for us is, is there fruit? Is there fruit? Now, I don't know about you, but there's something inside that goes, oh, no, like, is there fruit? We can get really, really analytical. Let me ask you something. Does a, tree, does a tree look at itself and not see fruit and just start taping fruit on itself? No. No, it's ridiculous. A tree grows fruit. A tree grows fruit. And this is why I'm so thankful for the handful of verses that Jesus, that, that we see next, that we've been given next. Because as you look at what Jesus says next, he says, listen, you want fruit in your life? Pay attention. 
You, you remember that statement? God intended this temple to be a house of prayer. He intended it for that building. It withered away. Now he intends it for this temple and for these temples. Everywhere you go, that you would be a house of prayer. And so what he does next is he says, look, I'm going to describe to you how you pray. When you pray, this is the way in which you go about it. Listen to this. <clears throat> Verse 22. Have faith in God. I mean, it's so simple, right? And yet the first thing Jesus brings up here is the very thing that everybody who was involved in the life of the temple lacked. Those who oversaw the temple, the chief priests, the teachers, those who were carrying out commerce in the midst of the temple. The thing he spotted immediately is they've placed their faith elsewhere. Everybody has faith, but the question is where we place it. He says, have faith in God. Verse 23, truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Can I ask you do, you, do you have some mountains in your life that just seemingly can't be moved? I mean, you've maybe dismissed it. You've gone, oh, I don't know if God can do anything about that. Oh, it's a lost cause. They're a lost cause. Jesus goes, nah. Listen, the, the starting point of life at the root that bears fruit in your life is faith. Faith that can move mountains. Right? So what are those mountains? What are those mountains that are flashing through your mind right now? You might jot a couple down. He keeps going. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you've received it, and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, now he's about to get at the other issue that the chief priests and the teachers and those carrying out their business in this den of robbers of the temple, he's about to get at their other issue. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive. Forgive them. You want to know what the issue was for the priests and the teachers and, and all those that were buying and selling in the temple? A hardened heart. They, they just walked around with grudges. I mean, they, isn't it so interesting? They had the word of God, and yet they had grudges in their grip. And they just walked around with it. And they didn't, they didn't, they didn't actually teach the word of God as much as they held it over people. And Jesus says, that's not the heart. That is not the heart that bears fruit. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. So the question becomes, and we've got to go back to last week, would you pray like that? Would you pray like that? I mean, maybe you're not very experienced at prayer. You, know, you want to know where Jesus would have you start is where we were last week. The humility, to ask for the humility to turn to him in prayer. Remember the promise we have elsewhere in Scripture? He is the author and the perfecter of our faith. Remember the, the dad of the possessed son? He didn't say, I'm going to manufacture my faith. I'm not going to muster my faith. You know what he said? Lord, increase my faith. See, it's not a you doing it thing. It's a him doing it thing. And he is so gracious to those who come before him with humility in the heart with humility in the heart, and they say, Lord, increase my faith. 
that there'd be life at the root, that there'd be life in my heart, so that there'd be fruit in my life. You don't manufacture faith. You don't manufacture fruit. He does it. He's just waiting for you to ask. And so as we head out of here, as the worship team comes back up, I've got four questions for you. Four questions that I'd love for you to just walk out of here with. Don't answer them right now. I want you to actually spend some time in prayer. And I want you to ask four questions. Number one, and and these are at the bottom of your sermon notes if you grab them. Where do I encounter the hunger of humanity? Where do I encounter the hunger of humanity? And let me just remind you, that might be in the mirror. Or it might be out the window. It's likely both. Right? We all have that hunger inside of us. Where am I encountering that? We've at least got to be aware. Number two, where are leaves on display in my life? Where are leaves on display in my life? That is, who knows you're a Christian? Because you know what they see when they look at you? They see leaves. They go, oh, that's somebody that claims to have the life of God in them. But I also want you to flip that around. Where are their leaves? Where are the places you go that tell you there's life there? Is it church? Is it, a, is it a small group that you gather with? Is it the people that you encounter over the course of the week? And while the se- it wasn't the season for figs here, it wasn't the season for figs, that, that's, that's a reference to it was no longer the season for fruit in the life of the temple. It is always the season for fruit in a Christian's life. It just is. Question number three. Where have I set up tables in my heart that need to be overturned? That is, can we come before Jesus and say, look, I've got, I've got this table set up and I've got this table set up and, and it, I realize it creates division within me and, between me and you, between me and other people. Would you bring those before him, confess those to him so that he can overturn them? Finally, what are the mountains I'm asking God to move? What are the mountains I'm asking God to move? Have you given up asking about some mountains? I'd encourage you, go back. Ask him to move those mountains, and you know what he does? That author and perfecter of our faith, he builds faith when we get to see him move mountains. And it might be doubt about where somebody in your life is at. It might be a situation in your life. But go to him. Keep going to him and watch him increase your faith so that the end result, there'd be life at the root and fruit in our lives. We'll pick up there next week. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we come before you, you know, the warning passages of Scripture are not always fun, and yet because of your good and perfect and loving character, you know what we know about you? We know that you intend life to come out of it. And so let every single person in here, let us heed this warning that we would turn to you, as you said, in prayer. Perfect our faith. Increase our faith, Lord. Where there are grudges inside, soften our hearts, that we would turn with hearts of forgiveness and faith toward you. And most of all, Lord, let us have that deep, deep assurance that you are bearing fruit through every single life in here, every single place we go. We thank you 
that you looked upon us and made us a temple to carry your life to others because of what your son did for us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.